This is the fourth week on this series, The Heart of Praise and Worship. And I've been really inviting you into my life because this is something that's very dear. It's at the core of who I am. And, and the Lord has really taught me a lot about worship, of all of which I thought I knew a little bit about it, but I realized I didn't know really anything about it. And, uh, but I've been waiting to get to this place, so I'm so excited to start really talking about this secret place of worship. It's a one-on-one -on -one place that you are to have with your Father, and everything is birthed out of that place. So believe with me not to bawl like a baby, because every time I'd even try to tell Jeanette about what I was going to preach on, I would bawl like a baby. And then, of course, you know, the enemy, he's always coming at you. So uh, when I woke up this morning, I didn't have a voice. So, and we know that's demonic. So, you know, uh, because, I mean, Jeanette wants me to have a voice because she loves how I talk all the time. <laughs> so I want you to look past the little raspiness. It's going away, you know, and it has to because I am the healed. And... Uh, but let's just receive from this. I'm going to take my time because this is something that's not taught on. And I want you to open up. You know, we went to Acts chapter 16 last week, and we talked about Paul and Silas, and that was a picture of the secret place of worship. And we talked about that a little bit. There's another passage I want to, I briefly mentioned, but I want to go to this place today. And it is Psalm 91. So open up your Bibles to Psalm 91 because this depicts, it gives us another depiction of this secret place of worship. As I said before, there's no single verse that defines worship in the Bible. But yet it is the underlying theme all through the Bible. Well, when you understand what praise and worship is, you'll see praise and worship all over in all these scriptures in the Bible. It's amazing. Because God, you know, I talked to the men Saturday about something that ties right in with this. The Lord said this to me years ago. He said, Tony, all ministry flows out of the overflow of your personal walk with me. And then he started talking to me about how that every arena of my life, all life flows out of my personal walk with the Lord. And so that's the same way with you. And so we're, what are we talking about? It's we are never to be moved by the outside. We are only to be moved as believers by the inside. I am led by the Spirit of God. I am led by the inside circumstances have to bow to who I am in Christ. They have to. Not because I'm anything, but because Jesus is everything. So I want to read Psalm 91, and I'm going to read it in more of a first person how you should read this chapter in your Bible, and I want to pick out some things and show you where we're going and we're going to take an aerial view of Jesus' ministry on the earth. We're also going to, we're going, to, we're going to start out by going to the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus literally laid a foundation of, of the teaching that he would do while he was on the earth. And it's real interesting how he talked about this secret place of worship. And then we're going to go to the end of his ministry on the earth in the Gospel of John, and we're going to look at the last time he interacted with his disciples and how he talked about he's going to prepare a place for us. We think so naturally, and we think only on one level, oh, well, yeah, Jesus is going to prepare a mansion for me. You know, and, 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 and you've heard teaching, and you know, in the Jewish culture, the, the husband would, would build this whole thing on, on the side of the house, and but he could not go back for his bride until the father said, okay, it passes my inspection. Now you can go get your bride. 
which almost leaves us with this figure that the reason why Jesus hasn't come back for his church yet is because he's still building our mansions, which I got to tell you, he created the universe, right? But when you look at these Greek words, we have to see what he's really talking about. In his last interaction, he was talking about, I'm going to prepare a place for you. A place of intimacy. He's going to prepare a secret place. And now, when I come out of this grave, you're going to be able to be intimate, one spirit with me. And this is where everything happens. We're going to take our time and we're going to really dissect the word in these areas. It'll help you. The, the challenge of teaching something like this is this could, it tends to be so foreign because we're so used to worship being what we do before the preaching happens, right? But worship is to be the foundation of your whole life and out of it, everything flows. You want to walk by faith and walk in rest, you're going to have to live a life where you, you spend one-on-one time with God in that secret place because he imparts his presence into your life and then it empowers you to leave that place and go walk out his power. Or actually, you find you're walking out your plan, his plan for your life while you're in that secret place, right? So Psalm 91.1, I just said a whole mouthful all you guys are going, whoa, what? Just relax, we'll, we'll get into it. It'll help you. Thank God for the Holy Ghost. He's the teacher this morning, amen? It says in verse 1, Psalm 91, 1, he that dwelleth. Now this Hebrew word means to dwell or abide continually. So this is a place that we are to stay at. He that dwelleth or abides continually in the secret place of the Most High, shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. You know, we see when Jesus started his earthly ministry, he he started with teaching that included secret place instruction. He was always instructing them about the secret place. But this Psalm 91, one person, the person who dwells in the secret place of the Most High, abides under the shadow of the Almighty, this person is abiding beyond the reach of the enemy. The enemy can't get to this person in this place. And that person is to be you and I. Because see, we choose to go to this place. God wants you there. You were created to live there. Verse 2, I will say of the Lord, notice the person who does what? Who dwells in the secret place of the Almighty and who abides under his shadow will say of the Lord. So if you're, you know you're in that abiding place by what you're saying. If you're not saying certain things, you're not there. What will you say? He is my refuge. He is my fortress. He is my God. He's not just a God in heaven. He's my God. He's my deliverer. He's the one who protects me. He's the place where I run and nobody gets to me. He's my fortress. In him I will trust. We sang about that today. Not part of my trust. All my trust is in him. Isn't that good news? All of my trust. Verse 3. Surely he shall deliver me from the snare of the fowler and from the noisome pestilence. That, That phrase, noisome pestilence, this means epidemic diseases. It doesn't say he may. It says, surely he shall deliver me. Isn't that good news? It says, 
He shall cover me with his feathers, and under his wings shall I trust. His truth, which we know as a New Testament believer, is his word, shall be my shield. And this is talking about a shield that literally surrounds me. His truth shall be my shield and buckler. So in other words, his word is not only my shield, but my armor. That word buckler in the Hebrew language means armor. So we get a great picture of that as we have, we walk, we, we put this scripture under the light of Ephesians 6 in the New Testament, and it makes a lot of sense. The armor of God is his word manifesting upon you as you draw from his presence. It says, verse 5, I shall not be afraid for the terror by night, nor of the arrow that flies by day. Notice, I will not be afraid day or night, ever. Nor of the pestilence that walks in darkness, nor for the destruction that wastes at noonday. A thousand shall fall at your side and ten thousand at your right hand, but it shall not come near you. Only with your eye shall you behold and see the reward of the wicked. Isn't that amazing? You can know that. <clears throat> Isn't that amazing? You can know right now that no matter what happens in this earth while you're on it, your God is your deliverer. He's your refuge. He will keep you safe. You'll never have to fear anything. Verse 9. Because you have made the Lord, which is my refuge, even the Most High, your habitation. In other words, because you've made God the place where you live. That's what he's saying right now. Because you live in the secret place under the shadow of the Almighty, look at what it says. There shall no evil. This word evil literally means there shall no disaster befall you. Neither shall any plague come near your dwelling. Verse 11, for he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. They shall bear you up in their hands lest you dash your foot against a stone. You shall tread upon the lion and the adder. The young lion and the dragon shall you trample under feet. Notice New Testament truth. We put it under that light and we see that we are seated with Christ far above all principalities and powers. Satan has no power over the believer. Right? Satan will take advantage of a believer who is choosing not to abide in the secret place, who chooses not to make God his habitation. But if a believer will obey and do that, Satan can't touch him. Verse 14, because you have set your love upon me, therefore will I deliver you. I will set you on high because, this is a big thing, because you have, half is past tense. Because you've set your love upon me, therefore will I deliver you. See, God is not just going, okay, you know, Mark, if you love me, as soon as your love level gets to a certain level, okay, now I'll choose to deliver you. No, we know that God's our deliverer already. So we know from New Testament truth if Mark chooses to, to be and live in the secret place under the shadow of the Almighty, if, God, if Mark chooses to set his love upon God, what that means is he's now positioned where, not, where God's unhindered. Because see, God, he can't violate your will. This is why he tells you, don't love the world. Don't love the things in the world. It's all passing away. You know, set your love on me. And actually, how you'll love me is growing in a revelation of how much I love you. First John chapter 4, right? 
We love him because he first loved us. This is a huge thing. Because you've set your love upon me, therefore I will deliver you. I will set you on high because you have known my name. It's amazing. Knowing God before you get in a battle usually is the deciding factor. So hold your finger here in Psalm 91. I want to take you through a New Testament parallel scripture that gives you the same principle to see this. So go over to Luke chapter 6, and we're going to start in verse 47. Luke 6, 47. Hallelujah. There's just a great anointing on teaching this. Luke 6.47 says this, Whosoever comes to me and hears my sayings and does them. So this is a person who first of all comes to God. Notice it's always going to be relationship first. Right? He comes to God he hears his sayings, and he does them. Jesus says this, I will show you to whom he's like. Verse 48. He is like a man which built a house and dig deep and laid the foundation on a rock. And when, notice it doesn't say if, it says when, and when the flood arose, the stream beat vehemently upon that house. And could not shake it. So the person who comes to God hears him and does the word, right? Puts, puts corresponding action with what they're hearing. It's like they're a person who's building a house, but they dig deep and they found this house on a rock. And when the storms of life come, it doesn't even shake the house, let alone damage it. It doesn't, it can't even shake it. Say this after me. I, I am, unshakable. am unshakable. Isn't that good news? Yes. It's so good news. I cannot be moved. The Bible says in Isaiah 54, in righteousness you'll be established. That means you'll be fixed and immovable. Why? Because you're in intimate relationship with him. You're hearing him and you're obeying. You're actually walking it out. You're a doer of the word. What that means is your position for God to be your deliverer, your strengthener. Guess who the rock is in this foundation? It's Jesus, right? I love that. Could not shake it for it was founded upon a rock Verse 49, but he that hears, notice this person didn't come to God, but he that just hears and does not is like a man that without a foundation built a house upon the earth against which the stream did beat vehemently and immediately it fell and the ruin of that house was great. In other words, what this person founded their life upon before they got into the storm was the deciding factor. Now, now listen, here's the thing. If you're in a storm, then you need to instantly prioritize everything in your life, especially if you're not, you know, if you haven't been like this, and then you need to surround yourself with people of faith who are going to constantly tell you how healed you are. And, and how blessed you are. Not, they're not going to tell you what to do. Have you, ever anno have you ever noticed that? Have you ever told anybody what to do? Do you, do, you, do you ever notice how there is absolutely no anointing on you to do that? No matter, well, I'm just trying to help them. There's no anointing on it. Have you ever noticed when you do that, you kind of like, you think you're feeling uncomfortable because... You're saying something that might rock them a little bit, right? 
But no, it's because there's no anointing there. You are anointed to encourage and build people up, to minister grace to them. It's you come to God. This coming to God part is the secret place. It's everything. Because if you don't come to God, you really don't hear him. Bible hearing is to give him your undivided attention because you reverence, honor, and respect him above everything else in life and you plan on obeying what he says. Otherwise, if you don't come to him, you're just hearing, you're just listening. Right? So let's jump back to Psalm 91. Psalm 91, verse 15. Hallelujah. I know I'm reading a lot of scriptures here. I want you to get the flow of this. Psalm 91, verse 15. It says, He shall call upon me, and I will answer him. Isn't that good news? If you call, he always will answer. As a matter of fact, I could show you some things in Scripture when he has the answer before you call. Right? It says, I will be with him in trouble. Isn't that good news? Do you know you'll never, ever be in trouble alone? Now, if you've ever been in trouble and it's an attack of the enemy and it's not your fault, it's just an outward attack. That's one thing. But most of our trouble in life, it comes because we mess up, right? Can we be real today? So it's like, okay, God, I've messed up. And the enemy will sit there and go, well, he's not helping you. He told you not to do that. You've done it 150 times. And there's no help for you. But that's not what the word says. God, he, the Bible says in James, he doesn't even get down on you for the mess you create. When you create a mess, all that God will say to you is, okay, will you give that to me? Will you change your mind and walk with me now and let's move? Because I could clean all this up. I'll clean it up in a way where it won't affect your future. And we think, wow, that's too good to be true. Listen, everything about our lives as a Christian is too good to be true, right? I mean, if it wasn't for Jesus, we're lost. And if God would not withhold his own son from you, then how much more as his child will he come in and clean up a mess that you've created? Now, here's the cool thing. When you realize that and walk in it, you'll notice in your life, all of a sudden you'll go, oh my gosh, it's been three months and I haven't made a mess. You'll make less messes because your eyes are on him. I'm telling you, it changes everything. I'll be with him in trouble, I'll deliver him, and I'll honor him. Wow, isn't that amazing? With long life will I satisfy him and show him my salvation. Show him. Not tell him, show him. This this Hebrew word means discern. It means I will cause this person to see and know my salvation. And that word salvation literally means healing and deliverance from all the effects of the curse of the law and sin. That's everything. That's poverty, lack, that's depression, that's fear, that's everything. Weakness in every way. So, what do you guys think about that? This is a picture. This, all, this whole chapter is a result of a person who decides to make God their habitation. That's why Isaiah 119, he says, if you're just willing and obedient, you'll eat the good of the land. It's for you. Isn't that good news? Man, no more bad days. No more fear. No more lack. Because I know the God of heaven's with me. 
He's in me. He goes before me. He's my protector. He's my strengthener. He's my life. Isn't that good news? So let's, let's look at the Sermon on the Mount real quick. It's found in Matthew chapters 5 through 7. I'm going to really focus on chapter 6, but I want to kind of give you a little bit of an overview because I'm not going to read all this. You, I would encourage you to read it. You know, it's, it's the first time I went to Israel. Uh, this pastor that headed the group that I went to, he had asked me to teach on the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus would have taught it. It's a beautiful place in Israel. You're up on a mountain, and, and the Catholic Church has built a, a facility there that's, that's real beautiful, and there's places around there, so it's, it's pretty cool. When you go to Israel, all this stuff becomes more real to you because you've been there. But the Sermon on the Mount, chapters 5 through chapter 7, Jesus, what he's doing, and this is an aerial view of this now, he's establishing the foundation of his teaching ministry. Remember, he went about teaching, preaching, and healing. In this Sermon on the Mount, he's establishing, literally, the foundation of his teaching ministry. Jesus provides us with a picture of a secret place with our Heavenly Father, with its access and with its remarkable benefits. He's going to lay that out. <clears throat> but in Matthew chapter 6, it's real interesting. He speaks, and if you just read it, you won't see it. But if you meditate on it, you'll see it. He talks about, in Matthew chapter 6, eight random subjects that have nothing to do with each other. Okay? However, there is a common theme. There's a rabbinical style of teaching. Like when, remember when uh, John the Baptist's disciples came to Jesus and said, hey, John sent us and wants to know, is, is Jesus the Messiah or is there another? Now, now you feel like going, wait, hold time out. John, didn't you... I thought you said, behold, the lamb, right? Shows us our humanity, doesn't it? But then he says this. Jesus goes, go tell him this. And he lists several things that are from the word about the Messiah. But the rabbinical teaching style is he leaves a few things out. What a, when a rabbi would teach, he would teach a scripture, and the point that he would want to get across, he would leave out. So you had to know it in order to know. So when John the Baptist heard, go back and study it. It's really cool because the parts he left out answered his question, right? So here we have eight different subjects. He talked about giving. He talked about prayer. He talked about fasting. He talked about personal treasures. He talked about life itself. Then he talked about money and where your heart is. He talked about forgiveness. And he talked about the cares of this world. He dealt with all of these eight individual subjects. But here is the common thread that was woven through all of them that Jesus wanted people to see. If they would seek it, they'd find it. And here's the common thread in every one of those subjects. The focus of the person's heart dictates the resulting rewards. The focus of the person's heart, it's what dictates the results they get. Every time. This is why when you come to worship God, he's looking at your heart. When you walk before God, God sees your heart. The benefits that you get from the word come as a result of your heart. That's why in Proverbs chapter 4, he says this, guard your heart. I think it's in verse 23, with all diligence, because out of your heart flow the issues or the boundaries of your life. Right? So this common thread the focus of the heart. See, Satan knows this. Because you could quote, you could quote all day long, I've been redeemed from the curse of sickness and disease. 
But if the focus of your heart is not right, there's no power to activate it. There's no faith. So the game is going to be Satan, who is a defeated foe, who has no power over you, will throw thoughts, will use people, will create circumstances to endeavor to change the focus of your heart from God to you or to your problems or whatever. As soon as Peter started looking at circumstances and not Jesus, what did it say? He began to sink. Here's the good news. All of us who've began to sink before, right? You just cry out to Jesus. You get your eyes back on him and you're fine. So this common thread. So we see there's two passages of scripture we've looked at that are depicting a worship encounter. Paul and Silas in that Philippian jail, Acts chapter 16. Now we've looked at Psalm 91, right? These are two big pictures of worship. So now let's, let's, we've taken an aerial view of this a little bit. Now let's go ahead and focus down. I want to read a little bit in Matthew chapter 6 to show you what I'm talking about. So Matthew chapter 6 verse 1. You guys doing okay? This isn't a jump and holler thing, although I got to tell you, it makes me want to jump and holler because what this means to us, right? It says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 1, Jesus speaking, he says, Take heed that you do not your alms. That's, that's a form of giving before men. And it could include deeds as well. Before men to be seen of them, Otherwise, you have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. So he's saying alms is what, what alms as far as giving, it's giving to the poor. God's saying, or, or doing deeds for people, don't do it to be seen of men, because if you do, that's your reward. And then it goes on, therefore, when, now this word when is the Greek word, Hotan, H-O-T-A-N. It means whenever. So when you see the word when in this passage, it's whenever. Therefore, whenever you do alms, so not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues. Well, that would have been a great church to go to. Hey, everybody. <clears throat> I'm, I'm, see this poor person here? I am such a good Christian. I am going to give them money. Wow. Right? You think, would anybody really do that? Yeah. Spiritual pride is a crazy thing. Right? Therefore, whenever you do your alms, so not sound a trumpet before thee as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But, verse 3, but when or but whenever you do alms, let not your left hand know what your right hand does, that your alms may be in secret, that your alms may be in secret. And your father, who is our father? He's the one who sees in secret, shall reward thee, openly. Now, we're going to start to get a picture of a pattern. I want you to think about an inner court, holy of holies, intimate secret place, and an outer court. What we're going to find is if we're willing to go into the secret place, leave all that we think we need out and we just go in there. God, I'm just here to, I just, I just want to spend time with you. Our Father, who already knows what we need, while we're one-on-one -on -one in the inner court, you got to get this. I've got goosebumps coming out of my spirit right now. He's in your outer court fixing everything. <clears throat> This, you talk about faith. Why? 
I can believe that because he's just so good. So I wanted to let the cat out of the bag and then let's, so now we could keep going. He rewards you openly. So let's keep going. Verse 5 of Matthew chapter 6. And when or whenever you pray. Now I want you to see when you, when you start to look at this, man, I'll tell you, I heard a message from Brother Hagen years and years ago talking about the prayer of worship. And it, it set me on something. I had seen some things that I had never seen before coming out of that. It says that whenever you pray, you should not be as the hypocrites are. <clears throat> what is a hypocrite? They're, they're believing one thing in their heart, but they're acting another way outwardly. So we all know what that is because we've all done that, right? Can we, just, can we just be honest with each other, right? Is there any life in being a hypocrite? No. I'd like to tell you my goal in life is to never be a hypocrite again, right? But I'm so grateful that if I ever get stupid, my father will forgive me. Right? And help me. It says here, And when you pray, you should not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But you, whenever you pray, and here's a key, Enter into thy closet. Now you got to understand what this Greek word closet is. It's the Greek word tam-eon. Tam-eon. It means an inner room. It denotes a real private room. An inner chamber. In Matthew chapter 24, in verse 26, it uses the same Greek word, and it translates it a secret chamber. When you pray, go into this secret chamber. Or in other words, go into the secret place. And when you have shut the door, so step number one, you have to choose to go in. Aren't you glad that the door, notice it doesn't say, it says, it says, go in. When you enter into thy closet, it didn't say, and when you walk up to your secret chamber and open the door and go in, then you shut the door. Notice, you just go in. It's almost like the door's always open. The God of all creation is right now with the door open. And, and where is this place? See, God is omnipresent. That means he's, he's everywhere. Nothing can separate you from his love. But there is a secret place within his presence that we're talking about. It's a place where you choose, God, I'm coming in. The door's always open. So number one, you go in. Number two, you shut the door. Number three, you commune with him. And while you're communing with him, he's working everything else out in your life. All of a sudden, you come out of that place and you're changed. And then you start walking and all of a sudden, desires will start coming up in your heart to do something or to believe God for something. That's his direction in your life. And where you didn't have it before, now you have it. You come out of there, and all of a sudden you're like, wow, I'm a different person. I see things differently. All things are possible to me. This is what we're talking about. When you have shut the door, pray to your Father, which is in secret, and your Father, which sees in secret, do you see that common thread? shall reward you openly. See, verse 6, you could say this, is the cornerstone of this instruction on prayer. 
I believe it's a cornerstone of worship. Because really, prayer at its very foundation, let us, don't be anxious about anything, don't worry about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, how? With thanksgiving. It's the foundation of our whole prayer life. I'm not going to a God and asking him for something that he hasn't even already given me as a New Testament believer. Everything you're believing God for, he's already given you. It's a matter of you laying hold of it. Could it be we're not laying hold because we're not in the secret place? It's like, God, you got to heal me. And man, can you, can you kind of hurry up? Because I've got 50 things going on today. I don't have time to read your word. I don't have time to seek you first. Just come on. You know, I've had the Lord come to me and say, hey, Tony, ministry's really hard when you're working and I'm not working. Man, I'll tell you, these last 12 and a half years have been a lot easier than ministry in my past. Because I needed to get over myself, realize it was all him. And I've had him tell me before, Tony, it's really hard for you to be led by my spirit when you're out ahead of me. Because God doesn't, he doesn't speed up to get ahead of you. And when you get stressed out about things, I'm like, okay, God, I went to California. We were thinking about buying a building or looking at it. It was hilarious. We'd, we'd bring people that had construction background and, and leaders in our church over to show it to them. It was over behind Ambassador's Church off Fort. And it was, it was this 25,000 square foot building. It's a storage area now. And everybody, they'd be like, well, you know, Pastor, if that's what you feel. And it was afterwards when we bought this place, every, every one of them are like, oh, wow. We were so glad because we walked away from there going, oh, Lord, you got to show this. This is definitely not, this is going to be a nightmare, right? But, you know, so I'm out in California. I'm like, okay, I don't want to string anybody along. We got to know, God, is this it or not? And it just wasn't the location that I thought or whatever. There was something there, and I didn't know what it was. And, and finally, after nine days of the Lord talking to me about my kids, about my marriage, about this. I'm like, Lord, yeah, the, I got it. What about the building, <laughs> right? And, and, you know, then one statement later, well, Tony, you already know. Have, has God ever done that to you? Because then you're like, well, I know I know because you say I know, but could you please tell me because, <laughs> right, right? So, and then, then the Lord just directed me, and it, it was just like, you know, he's like, you're not even in faith over that thing. You just think that's something the congregation could afford. And we're never to do anything because we think the congregation could afford it. We're to be led by the Spirit of God. I've heard Keith Moore, he said this, he said this in uh, Giving and Receiving. That was my first hour of my first class at Rama. Sure wish I would have listened to him. Um, <laughs> You know, man, that would have saved me years, right? My wife is like, it really would have been good if you would have listened to him, right? But he said this, if you're led by money, you're not led by the Spirit. It's real simple. Here's your life. Let me simplify your life, my life. God, what do you want me to do? And then do it. Instantly, right? So anyway, let me get off my own case here and get back to this. So... Jesus is not talking, speaking literally about a physical expression of a room. He's speaking in spiritual terms. Jesus is not speaking of a closet as a physical location, but he's talking about a spiritual place. In, in Matthew here, verse 6, you could read it like this, but whenever you pray, Enter into your secret place. The secret place that we're talking about is his habitation. It's where he is. It's the lodging of his presence. It's the secret place within his presence. It's a place where you go, wow, this is so good. And then all of a sudden you're just like, Ooh, I'm in a new place. This is a place where your words are a lot less. 
because you've reached this destination of worship and you're walking in this revelation that your Father is holy and you're seeing him as he really is, which means that you're seeing who you are in him and you're so thankful that every, everything else in your life melts away. It's a wonderful place. It's the, it's the closest thing you'll ever be to being free from your flesh on this earth. Because in this place, your flesh doesn't give you trouble. It's just you're so, I mean, it's probably trying to, but you're just, wow. It's a secret place. Whenever you pray, enter your secret place then you got to shut the door and then you pray to your father or you commune with your father. This is so, so important. Each step is essential to the next step. Step number one, I've got to make a choice to enter this place. Step number two, I've got to shut the door. That means I'm letting go of everything that I think I need or everything about my life, and I'm shutting the door on it. I'm leaving all that in the outer court, and I'm just here to spend face-to-face -face time with him. Step number three, now I commune with my father. Jesus has already established that the Godward focus of the heart is foremost to God. That was the foundation of everything he taught. Everything is the focus of your heart. Prayer is communing with the Father. What does it mean? To commune means to talk intimately with. It means literally to take communion when we take communion, we're communing with God. The primary purpose of prayer is to talk intimately, to commune, to have intimate communication with your Heavenly Father. So now having said that, jump over to John chapter 15 and let's look at verse 4. I'm just laying a foundation I got to tell you, it's hard to express, but my heart is just exploding with the desire for you to be in this place, because everything changes in this place. You don't beat yourself up anymore in this place. You finally are okay with who you are, because you're starting to see who you really are. When you live, when you live in the outer court, all you see is all your mistakes and all of your imperfections and all this. But when you see him, see there's a, there is a, a principle in the word as we peer into him, we're changed into his image from glory to glory. That's what happens in this place. Hallelujah. Verse four, abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can you, except you abide in me. I am the vine, you're the branches. He that abides in me, and I in him, the same brings forth much fruit. For without me, you can do Nothing. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask. This means you shall call for. You shall make a demand for. You shall require what you will and it shall be done unto you. So the purpose of this blower, right? Let's just say this is a preacher filled with air. So I'll just, I'll just use myself as an example. So, 
So here, so here's the battery, so this would be Jesus. As long as this blower is hooked in, right? It'll, look, I'm blowing Mark's hair. I'm blowing Mark's hair, right? It works fine, right? Brother, you look good, so you know that. You look good. So as long as it's plugged in, right? But what happens, did you notice the moment this battery was disconnected, it's not doing anything. So if I put the battery back in, right, and I, I push the button, instantly starts working the way it's supposed to, but the moment I unhook it, so when you are hooked up with the Lord, right, when you're hooked up, you will work. But if you decide to get your eyes off of Jesus, no faith. What are you doing? But you could say, but pastor, I can still do stuff. Yeah, and God calls it nothing because it's not done in faith. Because see, in this place, you don't have a revelation that God loves you. So you're not loving him. You're trying to live for yourself and try to figure it out and try to deal with some of the things in your life yourself and nothing ever works. Nothing is fixed like this. Do you see that? Everything is fixed like this. That's exactly how we're to live. And it says, if... I will abide in him and I will allow his words to abide in me. I'll ask, I'll call for, I'll make a demand for, I'll require whatever I will. And he'll see to it that it's done for me. This is why the God says yes sometimes, God says no sometimes doctrine is not Bible. You never hear scripture because there is none. God is good sometimes, but God will use circumstances to teach you. That's not in the Bible. The Bible says that God uses his word to teach his children. The Bible says all of the promises of God are yes and amen. The Bible says if you believe, you receive, you will have. So what do you believe in God for? Because all of heaven is behind you. But I've got news for you. You want to believe God for the right thing. How are you going to know what the right thing is? By going into the secret place. It's in the secret place that while you are in that place, you see yourself get out of a wheelchair. You see the tumor as being gone. You see everything being restored. I'd like to tell you that you're going to see it in the outer court. You'll get some glimpses, but because there's no intimacy, see, you're not, you're not attached. There's no faith. So you can't, it's almost like you're, you, you're trying to get it. Realize this in your life, prayer is not trying to get it. We are not at all stressed out that the money might not come in. Right? I was not stressed out this morning that I would have no voice and preach today. Why? Because he is faithful. And see, I live in the secret place. This is why, I, if you're ever around me, I'm not going to tell you what to do. Because I want to work out, I have to work out my own salvation. But yeah, but you're my pastor. Yeah. I'm not, did you notice I'm not anointed to tell you what to do? I'm anointed to feed you the word and let the Holy Spirit tell you what to do. Right? But here's how it is with God when you're with him. It's not, let me beat you up a little bit. You know, I grew up in a house. Man, when I did something wrong, okay, here we go. Go cut your switch. And it's sitting on the couch right there, and I'm sitting there, and, and I'm being told, 
like a history lesson of everything I ever did wrong. I'm like, whoa, time out. I bear stripes in certain parts of my body for that, right? So if you grow up like that, or, or you're constantly beat up for past stuff, you'll think God's that way. And he's not that way. He'll come to you, he'll get down on his knee and get right on your level and just say, listen, I love you. I know you. I'm your answer. Here, just give that mess to me. Give that unforgiveness to me. Give that abuse to me. Whatever it is, give those mistakes to me. I know you by name. You're mine. I'm your redeemer. Come on, I've got a plan for you. And it's in that secret place that you see this. I'm telling you this secret place of worship. This series, if you'll notice, it's not just on worship. This is about Zoe life. He has this for you. If we don't make a place of permanent dependency on him, our hiding place, our habitation, we're not going to be able to bear results. When we become too busy to spend time with God in prayer, meditating in his word, what happens, this is exactly what happens. The minute I get too busy to put him first, to seek first his kingdom, now I'm, I'm by default, I'm preoccupied with all the natural things in my life. And as I look at natural things, what, what will manifest every time? Fear and self-centeredness. Oh, let me get it right. Self-centeredness and then fear. But if I'm focused on him, what manifests? Faith. See, I, I hope that you leave this place today knowing that you are a world overcomer in him. You are a person of faith. You already are anointed. You already are blessed. All the pieces are already there in you. And the God of heaven will make sure they're all put into their perfect place. But he can't violate your will, so he needs you to come out of the outer court where you're trying to fix everything and let it all go. Give it, what does it say? Cast the whole, well, first of all, humble yourself by casting the whole of your care on him and then going into the secret place and just going, okay, I'm not worried about this. All I, all I want to do is know you. I'm here to know you. I know you're good. I'm not worried about anything else in my life because I'm yours. Guys, that is for you today. I believe that, that we have entered a place where you see it in the Bible. Time compression. You're going to walk free from things. Things that took you, it took Satan decades to bind you in areas. And in a moment of time, one word from God, one second in his presence, and you'll walk out going, oh my gosh, I'm free from that. Not, not, okay, he set me free. No, no, no. I was already made free from that. And you walk out of that place going, praise God, I'm free. And the enemy's on your shoulder going, no, you're not. Look at this and look at this. And, and you don't even hear that anymore because you're like, oh my gosh, I'm free. God loves me. I'm not a failure. He's, he, he's pleased with me. Right? Have you ever grown up in a house maybe where your parents weren't pleased with you? Maybe where you didn't get picked. You know, just because somebody's not an athlete, they grow up in school and Satan starts messing with them. You know, just because they, they, they throw, they, you know, they, they throw like this. You know? And, and so they don't get picked for anything. And here's this little four-year-old who God's called to do something that's not athletic and Satan's on their shoulder going, you're nothing. 
Nobody wants you. You're worthless. To try to stop the plan of God, right? You are already complete in him. And as you go into this secret place of worship, which we'll talk more about, you'll see it. There's nothing like face-to-face where you just know I'm accepted. I'm the apple of his eye. He loves me. He would move heaven and earth for me. There is nothing like that. And that's the secret place.